Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of the series, Our Prayer. From the value and purpose of life to racial reconciliation, this series serves as a compass to our lives to reorient our hearts and minds around scripture, prayer, and the heart of God. You have come upon week number three. Hold up to number three. Week number three in our series, Our Prayer. We take the month of January every year and we try to look into his word and pray. And we're actually praying and fasting right now. We're in seven, six, seven. This is day seven. Seven days in to a 21 days of prayer and fasting for God to move in our lives, to God, for God to move in our church, for God to move in our community. We want to see God move. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know what you're fasting, um, uh, but whatever it is, maybe it's uh, your phone, maybe it's you've checked out of Facebook, maybe it's donuts, I don't know. Uh, but whatever it is for you, I hope you're fasting and asking God to pray. Uh, asking God uh, through prayer to move in our midst. God doesn't need to pray. And, and even um, to that note, uh, prayer isn't a reminder for God. You know God hasn't forgotten. You have. Prayer retunes our hearts to God's heart. Um, and so week one, we talked about praying. Uh, week number two, uh, which was just last week. So you're, you, you, we've got five weeks in January, so you're just catching us in the middle. Um, we talked about um, Prayer and how prayer can change things. How many of you know prayer can change things? I've seen it work in my life. Um, and we talked all this week about how when we pray and fast, God can use us in ways he couldn't use us when we weren't. Um, and so today, I, let, let me talk about today. Today we're talking um, about sanctity of life. It's Sanctity of Life Sunday. Do you know what sanctity means? I didn't, so I'll tell you. Um, sanctity means sacred. We always call, always call it Sanctity of Life Sunday, um, when really we should call it Sacred Life Sunday. And look, I've preached every Sanctity of Life message I know to preach. And next week, you're going to get to hear a special message about mission. Last week, we talked about vision. And then the last week of this month, on January 31st, um, we are going to focus our hearts and minds around the heart of God in racial reconciliation. My friend David Bailey is going to be coming. He's going to be speaking to your hearts through God's word. And I've got to tell you that as I have looked back over the last year, anybody else in shock? Anybody else still reeling with what's going on around us? Forget the last year. Let's talk about the last week. Madness. Madness. And after preaching years and years and years on Sanctity of Life Sunday about abortion, which we believe life starts at conception. 
So I could preach that sermon to you. I could, I could detail it out in science. I could detail it out in, 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 in every construct. I could detail it out in his word, how God formed you in the womb. But you know that, and most people already know that. And I could preach, we've preached just last year, we preached about how life is more than just in the womb. Because that mother has a life. So when we talk life is sacred, we have to talk about the life of that young mom, old mom, moms of all ages. You know, most abortions happen around that 18 to 30 mark. And we talked last year about how we shouldn't, and and for some reason over the years, people have demoralized and looked down upon women who have committed, uh, who have had abortions and looked at them as like they're murderers and, and wicked people when there's a life involved. More than just in the womb. And if we're gonna care about life in the womb, we have to care about life outside the womb. So that's the life of the mom. The life of the dad. The life of the Hispanic. The life of the African American. Oh, Hello? Listen, if we're going to preach, and, and this, this, is, this is, I guess, where I'm coming from today. As I was preparing the message, what I found was this. We don't have a, to, to solve the problem of sanctity of life and restore the sacredness of life, I think what we miss is love. And so what I want to talk about today is Christ-like love in a world full of hate. I've seen more hatred, and you'll forgive me if I haven't jumped right to my notes yet. I've seen so much hatred amongst all types of people. Now listen, I'm not going to be shocked when the world acts like the world. I am shocked at Christians. I'm shocked at Christians, people who proclaim Jesus on Sunday and then spew hate all week long. Republican versus Democrat, black versus white. Every race against every race, hate, hate, hate. You've got Christians who will proclaim, I'm pro-life. It's Sanctity of Life Sunday, preacher. Go ahead and preach about how life is sacred, but then they will, it's almost like they're bloodthirsty for the death penalty. But you don't want to talk about that. We should be grieved over the loss of life, of any life, from conception to the coffin at all stages. And some of you may not come back today. There are many that are watching online today that will say, I'm not listening to that preacher. If you're a Christian, you should be pro-death penalty, anti-abortion. I'm not going to preach that today. You know what I'm going to preach? How you should be loving people. Because you can't start to be pro-life across the spectrum unless you learn how to love. Okay. And it's good couple things right out front. It's good for the church to confront the moral and spiritual issues of the day. 
Paul did it. All, Paul wrote three quarters of the New Testament. And he was constantly not only addressing issues within the church, but addressing issues from outside the church that were impacting it. And we should, the, the other thing I was thinking as I was preparing was we should not be surprised at the opposition we receive. I have found that when you preach the word of God, you don't make friends. You don't make friends. Now, if you love his word, hear me today. If you're visiting, if you're first time watching us online, hear me. We are people of the word here. This is our pivot point right here. And we believe this has authority over our life. The other thing that came to my mind, those who oppose us are not our enemies and we should not hate them or fear them. For some reason, there is a disease amongst church folks that think if you, if you do not agree with me, I have to hate you. And you can act all day long like, oh, no, that's not me. But that's not how your language sounds. People aren't the problem. Sin is the problem. And, and we have, as a culture, we've, we've lost any capability for any civil discourse or disagreement. It's, you're either one side or the other. And it's a disease, and it's killing our churches. It's killing Christians. But I'll say this also. One thing I have witnessed over the last 12 months is this. God uses opposition to open doors for us that have never been opened before. Think about Pharaoh. Pharaoh was chasing down in Exodus the people of Israel to kill them. They were facing opposition. And he used... That scenario, they were on the verge of all being killed. So I don't know where you're at in life, but anybody on the verge of being killed today? No? No. Nobody knows. Jerry's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> ah. Jerry's my friend. Yeah. <laughs> the Pharaoh and his army drilled them up against the Red Sea and God used opposition to reveal his glory, to reveal his power, to reveal his majesty, to reveal his capableness. You realize that opposition isn't the enemy. Yeah. As a matter of fact, for the people of God, there is a promise of victory. There is no foe that the Lord hasn't got a handle on. In fact, there isn't an enemy that God won't use in their rejecting and rebellion of him. Pharaoh was actively rebelling against God. And God, in his sovereignty, guided Pharaoh's evil actions to display him. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I've decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Love is a decision, a conscious, ongoing choice of the heart. Love is a refusal to bear the burden of hate, even when hatred seems much easier than love. 
You ever found it easier to hate somebody than love them? You know what love means. Love means you got, you can't love from a distance. You realize that. You can't love from a distance. Love is up close. And sometimes we can despise people, reject people. It's easier to hate them because having them close is hard work. And so this is how Luke sets this up. Luke chapter 15. And this is, if this is the weirdest sanctity of life message you have ever heard, I hope so. I hope you leave here and say, man, my preacher was supposed to preach on life today. No, we need to preach on love first. We need to preach on loving each other. So let's turn together. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew back in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that one with you. That's our gift to you. And uh, you can look it up on your phones too. Luke chapter 15. And I'll be quick. Said every preacher. <laughs> okay. Verse one. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Everybody say notorious. Often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Pause. You were judged by who you ate with in this time. Most of y'all are door dashing and staying at home right now. <laughs> Can I just be a pastor for a second, just love you for a second? Stop door dashing. It is too expensive. You, you are going broke. And let me tell you, if you have more than two people in your house, you will spend so much money and they never get the order right. Okay, that's, okay that, let me get back to the word. I'm sorry. I could preach a whole sermon on DoorDash. Anyway. Verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. So Jesus is about to lay it out. Verse 4, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Everybody say, finds it. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. He, when he arrives... He will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. I believe God has a message for us today. I believe God has a message for Transformation Church today. I believe God has a message for you. I think we can often kind of back up a little bit and just say, ah, you know what, he's just preaching to the masses. No, the word of God is weighing on you today. And if you leave here without that weight, Go golfing on Sunday mornings. Don't come here. You need to, if this is your hobby, there are way better hobbies. Okay, there's way better things you can spend your time on. 
So let the word of God weigh on you this way, this morning. So what is God trying to say? I think there's three lessons we can pull from this parable. More than that, but just these three. Um, Number one, some of God's sheep are lost. Pay attention to that phrase. Some of God's sheep are lost. You realize even lost sheep belong to the Lord? This will change how you interact with lost people. Because they were birthed in the image of God. They were created in the image of God. They belong to God. It will change how you interact with lost people when you realize that God's sheep are already his, whether they're lost or found. In verse 6, it says, My lost sheep, lost people matter to God. That young mom sitting in her car at the abortion clinic, she matters to God. The life in her womb matters to God. People protesting downtown, they matter to God. It's going to change how you interact with people. Hear me. You let the love of God enter your heart, it will change how you interact with people. You'll you'll find yourself commenting on Facebook different. You'll be tweeting different. In fact, you'll be able to hang around people you never thought you could hang around when the love of God has taken root in your soul. Yeah. In the parable, the shepherd knows his sheep even while they are lost. The worst sinner in the entire world bears the very image of God. And he knows them by name before they know him. Most lost people don't know they're lost. Did you know that? They're dead in Christ. They don't even know they're lost. They don't even know they're lost. And before I move on, um, and some of them are on their way to Jesus at this very moment. They don't even know it. Number one, God. Some of God's sheep are lost. Number two, God wants his lost sheep found. Everybody say found. So this week I did a little um, study on sheepology. Y'all could wake up. It's okay. It's okay. It's (laughs) it's a joke. Uh, Wow. Either y'all are really convicted this morning or you just didn't sleep enough last night because you were up with your DoorDash indigestion. (laughs) Isaiah 53.6 actually uses a bit of, um, uh, tells us a little bit about sheep. Listen, Isaiah 53.6. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. All of us, we, everybody say we, it includes you, have gone astray. And this is what I found out about sheep. Sheep aren't really dumb. Some would characterize them as dumb. They're not dumb, but they wander. They'll have a little grass here, over here. They'll have, oh, look at this. Let me. And they'll wander, and before they know it, they're, they're lost. They've, they've gone away from the flock. 
<laughs> Anybody's uh, eating habits ever gotten them lost? There's a spiritual and a physical to that, okay? There's a spiritual and a physical. Um, I've ended up in some weird places trying to find a restaurant to go eat. Um, but then also, uh, when you're chasing the desires of your heart, you will get lost. Yeah. You, just a little reminder for you. The desires of your heart today, you, the desires of your heart are not defaulting to the Lord. Your default desires are wicked and sinful. And that's why we have to war against them. That's why we submit ourselves to the Lord so that he can help control our desires. We, like sheep, have gone astray. There is a little sheep in all of us and a lot of sheep in most of us. Do we really realize that the lost are truly lost? The Bible uses some sobering images I wrote down um, to describe the lostness of lost people. They are blind, deaf, condemned, captured, led astray, imprisoned, helpless, and spiritually dead. They are blind and they think they can see. They are dead and they think they're alive. They are captive and they think they are free. They are helpless and they think they can do anything. They are without understanding and they think they know everything. They are bound for hell and think they are on their way to heaven. And to give you some relief this morning, Jesus must find the sheep because you're not going to wander back to him. Sheep don't wander back. You have to go find them. And Jesus came and he found me. Oh, he found me. He found me. In my dead state, in my depraved state, in, in the pursuing of my own desires, he loved me so much that he came and he found me. I had nothing to do with it. I didn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps and say, I, I pick you, Jesus. No, he stirred within me and brought me to life through grace that he gave me, through faith that he, and he birthed in me. He found me. You know where the security is there? A lot of people, uh, and maybe even some in this room or watching online today, you are trying to work to keep up with your salvation when it wasn't yours in the first place. It's his. You're working for something you can't keep. He keeps it. He keeps it. And when you are truly when you rest in his salvation, here's what happened. He changes the desires of your heart. He does. All of a sudden, where you once wanted to chase after your own desires, all of a sudden now, I, I desire to obey him. When I first met my wife, I had different desires. I wanted to go out and have a good time, be close, you know. Now I desire to make her Joyful. So last night I sat on the ottoman. Some of you saw it. I didn't know pictures were being taken. (laughs) 
Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. For those that don't, I sat on the aisle. My wife just got her nails done yesterday. She just got her nails done. Anybody like to go get your nails done? Wow. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. I got one. Trey? Uh, um, so she didn't want to mess up her, to- her, her, her new nail job. So um, I took that acetone or whatever it is, and I got down there, and I, I had to scrub her little Tootsie Rolls on her foot and get all the old paint off so she could do her, uh, do her toes. Do you think for one moment that this is God working on my desires? I still really didn't desire it. But there were desires that trumped my surface level ones. Uh oh. There are desires that will trump. The, the fleeting desires of this world. And those desires come from the Lord. Yeah. Let me keep going. What time? Okay. All right. Number one, some of God's sheep are lost. Number two, God wants his lost sheep found. Number three, someone must go after God's lost sheep. Now, um, Hermeneutically, you like that word? That just means how you go about interpreting and handle the word of God, okay? I can't go through this today and say anything other than God saves people. I don't save people, okay? So... When, when I preach someone must go, God is drawing people to himself and he uses us in the work. You are God's handiwork. You are his hands and his feet. These parables, this parable right here, are first and foremost about God. They reveal his heart for those who don't know him. But that's not the end. Listen, We are God's children, and as such, we are to show forth his character to others. So the way God loves lost people, I am supposed to love lost people. The work of saving is on God. For most of us, that should give us some relief. I, I have a handful of people I've been praying and praying and praying would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And they haven't. And oftentimes I, I wear that weight. It's not my weight to carry, it's his. God saves people. However, as God loves, so we are to love. And we love because he first loved us. What was that song? I always go to this one. He knew me, yet he loved me. Have you ever heard that song? He knew me, yet he loved me. That's his love. 
This, this sort of love requires and demands we change our priorities. This sort, let, let me just suggest, going out is required. If you read this parable, there is no way you can read this parable without realizing that there is a going out that is required. And if we are going to love people who are the sheep, your sheep, welcome. Welcome to Transformation Church. Sheep, Trans- Transformation Church. Sheep. If the example of God's loving lost people, if the example of God's love is I go out and I find, my love should look similar. My love should not look like I'm just comfortable here, Carl. Come on. Come on, Carl. I'm comfortable right here. His love compels us forward. As I studied this week, I noticed something I hadn't noticed before. I've read this passage many times. Look at these action verbs. Everybody say action. He loves, he leaves, he goes, he finds, he lifts, he carries, he calls his friends. He leaves, he goes, he finds, he lifts, he carries, he calls his friends. He leaves, he goes, he finds, he lifts, he carries, he calls his friends. He does something. It's all very personal and none of it is easy to do. And the love of God comes at a cost to you. To love people the way God loves people, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you convenience. It's going to cost you comfortability. It's going to cost you sometimes physical things like money and time. To love people the way God has called us to love and to mimic his love to the people around us, it will cost you. You know what it cost him? His life. And there are missionaries overseas today giving their lives, loving people into the kingdom. Finally, as the band comes back, Notice the emphasis on joy. Everybody say joy. The shepherd rejoices when he finds the sheep. The people rejoice when the sheep returns to the fold. Heaven rejoices when a sinner repents. And that joy led me to two other insights. One The shepherd rejoices even though the sheep are still far from home. Look at this. Look at verse 5 and 6. And when he found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. I can see it now. I can see it now. Jesus finding his sheep broken, battered, lost, scared. And he picks them up. And he puts them on his shoulders joyfully. What can we learn from that? What can we take away from that? Some of you are so bitter and angry that you have to witness to some people. 
You'll, somebody will start showing signs that they're, they're, they want to come to the Lord, and, and, and we'll come up to them and say, you know what, you ever, now I did this one time with Macy. I, th- I think we were at a, a store, grocery store. I can't remember exactly, but what I remember is this. What do kids do when they're running amok in a, in a grocery store? They go wherever their eyes lead them, okay? Macy decided to run out of my sight. Any, any, any parent ever been there? Any parent ever been there? You somewhere out in public, and your kid goes missing, and you're looking around, and it settles in. My wife's going to kill me. I have that feeling often, by the way. I'm in big trouble now. But then right after that feeling, it's just the bottom sinks out. And you go into this hurried fashion trying to find yourself. And, and this has happened a couple times, but I would go up to Macy and I, you run off one more time. I'm, 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 I'm whispering it because I don't want the people in the next aisle thinking I'm abusive. But you hear me, young lady. You're going to catch it next time you try and run around. Don't you leave my sight. And some of us treat people that way. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't you do something like that. Why, why were you here in the first place when Jesus would come and he would throw them on his shoulders joyfully? Long journey back to the fold and he would carry them back Our love should be marked by our joy. And then second, the people rejoice when the shepherd returns with the lost sheep. In all of this, I've discovered two things. One, God's enormous compassion for the lost Number two, God's sovereign grace in rescuing his lost sheep. The Bible tells us the the shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know his voice. Here's the promise today. When Jesus calls their name, they'll hear. And they'll know and they'll respond. So, what does this mean? This means that our call to love people and our call to restore a community that treats life as sacred starts with learning how to love people. It starts with learning how to love people. If it means going to um, some bar downtown, that's where I'll go. If it means going to the racetrack, that's where we'll go. If it means going to the homeless shelter, the factory floor, the beauty parlor, the the halls of a high school, down on Jeff Davis in hotel rooms, whatever it takes, we are going to treat life as sacred. And that even now, statistically, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense for someone to leave 99 to go for one. You know what this tells me? 
there's not a person in this room, there's not a person watching online today, and there's not a person we'll minister to out here on the streets that is statistically insignificant to the Lord. There is not a person bearing His image that is statistically insignificant to Him. And if we're going to treat life as sacred, we have to start by treating love as priority. If we're going to treat life as sacred, we have to treat love as priority. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.